Ecclesiastes chapter 11, please, in your Bible. Ecclesiastes 11. Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Find the Psalms, find the Proverbs. You're nearly there. Ecclesiastes is next. Speaking to the youth this morning in our family emphasis series, I've spoken to mothers and fathers and husbands and wives, and I've spoken to children as children and siblings as siblings. Now I just want to speak to you as youth. I just want to speak to you as young people. I want to speak to you as people who are growing up, coming into your own, finding your own place, um, learning to make your parents' faith your faith, transitioning in the faith. All of the things that are happening in the lives of some of the young people that are with us today. And I want to speak to you about the strength of your youth. King Solomon was the king of Israel during a very, the very pinnacle of the nation's power, wealth, and glory. He was the son of King David. King David had established and greatly grown the kingdom. King Solomon was reaping the benefits of David's efforts as well as the benefits of his own divinely given wisdom. History informs us that during the reign of King Solomon, Israel was without a doubt the greatest kingdom upon the earth at that time. And if tradition and legend are to be believed, it is possible that Solomon's empire in Israel should be regarded as the greatest kingdom that was ever upon the earth, even to this day. Think of the great kingdoms that have been Babylon and Persia and Medo-Persian Empire and Greece and Rome and even uh, we would add the United States now and the empire-building efforts of nations. The British Empire when it spanned the globe. Napoleon's Empire. All of the great empires of wealth and fame and riches and power. And yet it's quite possible that Solomon's empire outstripped them all in might in glory, and in wealth. As a matter of fact, if you've ever seen any Arabian um, myths about flying carpets and magic carpets and all of those sorts of things uh, in the Arabian um, areas, all of that was actually derived from legends about the greatness of Solomon's court. And it was in fact the greatness of Solomon's court where people would say it was Solomon that had the flying carpet, the magic carpet. And as the Queen of Sheba came up to marvel at all that Solomon had, um, it was Solomon that had all of these tremendous wonders because his empire and his kingdom was so wealthy and great and vast that people uh, used legend to try to emphasize exactly how magnificent it was. The scriptures bear out that Silver was as stones in the street. Literally, there was so much precious metal floating around in Jerusalem that silver was just about as much, it, it was, it was as costly as stones because there was so much of it. Everything, as far as commodities, uh, we know, works on a, a basis of, um, supply and demand. And so silver was so 
prevalent that you can basically just walk out your door and find it lying around. Incredible. The wealth of Solomon's empire. Now Solomon himself was a man who was blessed by God with unparalleled wisdom. In fact, 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 29 and 30 tells us this. God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much and largeness of heart, even as the sand that is on the seashore. And Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the east country and all the wisdom of Egypt. The wisdom of Egypt built the pyramids. The wisdom of the east countries is the derivative of much of the calculus advanced mathematical concepts that we have even today derived in the East in Babylon through those great wise men. And Solomon, the scriptures tell us, his wisdom exceeded all of them. His kingdom was wealthy, prosperous, peaceful. But you know, prosperity has a way of corrupting people's minds. Corrupting their hearts. Solomon was a man who loved the Lord. But in his wealth and riches, he pursued every and any luxury in life. He testifies that if his eye wanted it, he took it. He withheld nothing from himself that his eye desired. He said, I think I want that. He went and he took it. I think I want that. He went and he took it. He was so wealthy and so powerful that there was nobody that could say anything against him. There was nothing that was too costly for him to afford. There was no one that was so high up in the ranks that they could oppose his desire. And he testifies in Ecclesiastes that if he wanted something, he took it. And the scriptures bear out in this book that we are in this morning that his overindulgence led him into misery. Perhaps there are many of us in this room who feel like if we only had more of something, we'd be happy. If we only had more money, if we only had more things, then we'd finally be happy. If we could only have that one thing. I remember thinking that as a kid. Maybe even telling my parents that. When it was coming to birthday time, if I could only have that one thing, I'd never ask for anything again, right? I'd never want anything again. And so you get it. Wow, I got it. And a couple months later, you're bored. And it's old news. And the next big thing has already come. And so it's time for the next big thing. That's even an advertisement today, is it not? As people are being drawn to desire things that they don't have, Samsung's great advertisement for each phone that they get is the next big thing is here. The next big thing is here. Yeah, that, that last big thing that we had, that's the last big thing. Now it's the next big thing. You want You don't want the last big thing. You want the next big thing. And then you'll be satisfied with the next big thing, well, until the next big thing comes around, right? And then when the next big thing comes, you want the next big thing. That's the way Solomon lived. And he was miserable. And the book of Ecclesiastes, young people, is a divine lesson. It's written by the hand of one of the wealthiest and wisest men this world has ever known. And the lesson is this. The things of this earth cannot buy happiness. Money can't buy happiness. Things can't buy happiness. Fame and power can't buy happiness. And young people, 
It's a lesson that you need to learn. In fact, the penman of Proverbs 30, he was a man named Agur, said this of wealth and prosperity in Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. He said, Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. So this was, he was a king, and he said, I don't want to be poor, but God, don't let me get rich either. Because when I'm poor, I might deny you and take your name in vain by stealing instead of trusting in you. But if I'm rich, I might deny you by thinking I have everything I need and I don't need the Lord anymore. And forsake you. So God, don't let me be rich or poor. Let me just be in the happy middle. Where I have enough, where I'm trusting you, you're providing for me, and I'm blessed. Solomon begins his writing in Ecclesiastes by stating the overall lesson he wants the readers to learn. And he states this in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Uh, you can turn there if you'd like. I will have some of this back stuff on the screen behind me, but you can certainly turn there. The rest of this will be in the book of Ecclesiastes. He says this in chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said, See, this is new? It hath already been already of old time, which was before us. There is no remembrance of former things, neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come with those that shall come after. Solomon was a king who, in his prosperity, sought to experience everything the world had to offer. He wanted to experience every act of ambition in order that he might experience the greatest of pleasures. And what he found, young people, is that there was nothing he experienced that was anything more than emptiness. As young people, this is a very important thing for you to understand. See, you sit here, week in and week out, and you hear warnings against sin, and you hear about who this God is that we serve. And you go home and your parents withhold certain things from you in the name of Christ. They withhold certain things from you because they are trying to teach you that the things that God wants are more important than the things that you want. That the things that God wants for us are more important than the things we want for ourselves. And so they don't let you watch certain things because even though we want to watch that, that is not something that would please the Lord. And so we want to do what pleases the Lord, not what pleases ourselves. And they don't let you wear certain things because when you wear that, that is not a, a God-honoring um, thing to wear. And so we want to please the Lord more than we want to please ourselves. And they don't let you do certain things and say certain things and go certain places because they are trying to preserve you, protect you from some of the things that the world says, this is very good, but the Bible says, this is something you should avoid. And you see the people of the world, and they're doing these things, and they're wearing these things, and they're going these places, and they're listening to these things, and they're watching these things, and they seem healthy and educated, and they just look so happy. 
And the natural feeling, young people, that will crop up in your heart, if it hasn't already, as you see the world around you, is to think that you're missing something. Is to think that you're missing out on something. So God gave us a book. And it's called the book of Ecclesiastes. And in this book, we have the writings of a man who said, I think I'm missing something, so I'm going to go see what I'm missing. And he had the money, and he had the power, and he had the means to do whatever he wanted. You can't read this book and say, well, if only he had more money, he would have found happiness. You can't read this book and say, well, if only he had more power, he'd have had happiness. There is no excuse. This man is the very pinnacle of all it means to be humanly successful. And he's going to testify to you. He took advantage of education. He took advantage of ambition. He took advantage of lusts and pleasures. He learned everything he could learn. He built everything he could build. He had a thousand wives and concubines. He pursued his physical lusts. He pursued his material lusts. He pursued everything that a human could possibly want to pursue. And his conclusion is written in the book for you to learn from. He wrote this book so that you could learn from him instead of having to learn the hard way. Instead of having to learn from experience. This book was written to give you an insider's perspective on the pleasures of this world. An eyewitness account of exactly what we as Christians are missing by living separated, righteous lives unto God. Now there are some here that were saved later in life and you know what, what you're missing. And you know you're not missing anything. But you know the children that have grown up in Christian homes, that have been protected and sheltered and rightly so by their parents, they don't know what they're missing. They don't know that they're not missing anything. And the temptation is for, for young people to think they are missing something when they look at the world around them. And what Solomon found, and we'll see this this morning, is that all of his experiences, his ambition, his education, all of the money he spent and the things he built, it was empty. He felt it to be worthless. The end of the pursuit of personal pleasure is emptiness. You know, perhaps that explains the drug culture that America has found itself in today. Perhaps the reason why such a high percentage of the population is on some sort of drug to control their emotions and behavior is because we are all so busy pursuing personal pleasure and finding no satisfaction in it that it throws us into despair and meaning and worth in our lives. We get those new things and we pursue that which we want and when we finally get what we want, it's empty and then we get depressed. Because everything that we thought we wanted has still left us empty inside. Because everything that we thought we needed when we found it, when we have a family and we have a home and we have two cars and we have the boat in the backyard and we've got the shed full of power tools and we've got it all and everything that we envisioned would make us happy one day, we've got it and for some reason we're still not happy. We're still not satisfied. Life still lacks meaning. Bill Gates is one of the greatest philanthropists in the world. 
he gives away vast amounts of his fortune. And you'll find that many rich people are philanthropists. Why? Because they've got the money, they found it doesn't give them any pleasure, and what they do find some measure of pleasure in is when they give that money away. Because what does the Scriptures tell us? It's more blessed to give than to receive. And so they have found a small bit of meaning as they have tasted the glory of God by giving away their money. And young people, the lesson that I've already spoken of and that we're going to inspect today is not a lesson you're going to want to hear. Maybe you'll receive it well and you'll believe it, but there's going to come a day where you're, where you are going to chafe at this principle because you want to experience things for yourself. Because you don't want to just trust that what all of those grown-ups say is true. And may I encourage you not to. May I encourage you, however, to trust what the Bible says is true. You know, my parents aren't sweet potato eaters. I grew up never having had to taste sweet potato. My parents refused to cook them or serve them. And there came a day where I got down to college and I'm living in the South now and all of a sudden I hear all this great stuff about sweet potatoes. And everyone's like, oh yeah, sweet potatoes. And I said, I must be missing something. And so I went out of my way to find a sweet potato. And in my personal opinion, I found out I wasn't missing anything. But there are many people that do indeed like sweet potatoes. But I felt like I had to experience it before myself before I could judge it. And rightfully so. I'm not going to go around telling people sweet potatoes are nasty if I've never tasted a sweet potato. Now I can go around saying I don't think sweet potatoes are any good at all. And I've had sweet potatoes. I've had them with brown sugar. I've had them with marshmallows. I've had them with butter. I've had them in all sorts of ways. And I've never found a sweet potato that I really enjoy eating. I'll eat them. But I've never craved a sweet potato. Never once. Children, there are things in life that it's worth experiencing before you speak about them. And that's one of those excuses that Christians will give for sin. How can I, how can I say that this is wrong if I've never experienced it? How can I speak against something I've never experienced? Well, it works that way with food, perhaps. But it doesn't work that way with sin. It doesn't have to. You don't have to experience sin to know whether it's okay or not. Why? Because you have the inspired Word of God. And the inspired Word of God is true from beginning to end. And if the Bible says to avoid something, then you can rest assured that if you avoid it, you'll be better off. You don't have to experience it first before you, before you will learn that it ought to be avoided. When it comes to what the Bible says about sin, Children, you cannot take the philosophy that you're going to try it out for yourself to see if the Bible's actually right. So God has given you a man named King Solomon. He pursued every worldly pleasure and then he writes to tell you that every worldly pleasure, when all is said and done, is nothing but emptiness. Still walking briefly through the book, we will get to Ecclesiastes 7 eventually, I guarantee it. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 17, notice what Solomon says about the pleasures of this life. He says, Therefore I hated life, because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me, 
for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Solomon tried everything that this life had to offer, even virtuous things like hard work, heavy study, and deep ambition to excel. Those things that we would desire all of our children to have. But the, at the end of the day, he found it empty. And this is what he said. He said, all of my hard work is emptiness because when I die, I'm going to leave all of that hard work to someone else and they're just going to ruin it. I built up this magnificent kingdom. I'm going to die. I'm going to leave that kingdom to my son and he is just going to ruin it. He's going to take it and he's not going to be as wise and he's not going to be as capable and he's going to run it into the ground. What a waste. He said, I studied and I studied and I studied. And he said, you know what? The more I studied, the more depressed I came at the world, became at the world. The old adage, ignorance is bliss. And the more you know, the more cares, the more worries, the more frustrations. I can tell you that's true politically. The more you learn about politics, the more you learn about our government, the more frustrated you get. How much happier I was when I didn't know anything about politics. And I could just say, yeah, I'm just going to vote for these people because this is what, what we do in this country. Oh boy. It was bliss. But I was ignorant. So Solomon says, I've learned everything I can learn, and you know what? It just made me frustrated at the world. I built everything I could build, and you know what? I just got frustrated because I know that I'm going to hand it off to someone someday that's not going to be able to manage it the way I can. He, his ambition to excel only pleased him until he reached the top. And he said, I've reached the top, and I've got nowhere left to go. And now... What more have I? One day we'll preach through this book and we'll get to get into all of this stuff real deep and, and that'll be a wonderful thing. I wish I could get into it all today, but I can't. But for today, I'd like us now to skip to Ecclesiastes 11. So he tells us all of these things and, he, and it's somewhat of a depressing book, to be quite honest, in, a, in, a, in a, a manner of speaking. Because here the guy is just saying, everything's empty, everything's vain, everything's worthless. I tried all of these things. I pursued every pleasure and I found that there's nothing new under the sun and I found that mankind is really good for nothing but to live and to eat and to die. And then he gets to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Young people, what I've tried to establish so far is that you would do well to listen to what this man has to say. He has experienced it. All of those things that are forbidden fruit for you, those things that you look at the world doing that say, oh, I wish I could do that, or oh, I'd love to do that, or oh, I wonder what it would be like to do that. He did them. See, as a young person, the sky is the limit. You have energy. You have ambition. You have dreams. You have hopes. You have desires. You think you know what you want in this life. You probably don't, but you think you do. But in the end, young people, there's only one thing that matters. Look at me at verse 9 of Ecclesiastes 11. Solomon says, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart, and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Therefore remove sorrow from thy heart, and put away evil from thy flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. Solomon says something here that I actually believe is somewhat poor advice, and every parent in this room would agree. He says, you know what, young people? You just go do whatever you want. You go pursue your heart's desire. You go do what your heart tells you to do. Enjoy youth. 
But remember something, and this is where his advice gets good. But remember this, young people. Everything that you do will be judged by God. So sure, you've got energy. Sure, you've got ambition. Sure, go pursue it. And he's not saying here, he's not telling them to go pursue sin. He's saying go pursue the knowledge and the learning. Go pursue the ambition. Go pursue the building of great monuments. Go pursue the inventing of new things. Pursue all of those wonderful things that life has to offer. But know this, that whatever direction your pursuits take you, God's watching and you will answer for it one day. And so he says, in your pursuits, verse 10, remove sorrow from my heart. Make sure that whatever you're doing, you enjoy it. And number two, remove evil from your flesh. Don't do, don't sin. Do something that you can enjoy and do something that is right in the eyes of God. Because your days are short. Your childhood and your youth their vanity, their emptiness. There's not much to it. If you're dead set on finding out what the world has to offer, no one can really stop you, young people. But know that even if God doesn't stop you, He will judge you for it. So what is Solomon's advice? Look at me in chapter 12, verse 1. He says this. He says, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Youth, young adults, you don't realize it right now, but one day you're going to get old. Maybe it was preparing for this message that caused me to want to shave my beard off. Right? I dropped about 10 years last night off of my face when I shaved my beard off. No, I don't think it was. Maybe subconsciously I had something to do with it. But you know what? We're, we're all... I, I, I ticked another year over on the time calendar this past this past week, I guess the week before, I don't know, whenever my birthday was, 27th of May, I got older. We all get older. There's no stopping it, but when you're young, you don't really feel it. You want to get older, right? Can't wait to get older. Can't wait to hit 16. Can't wait to hit 18. Can't wait to hit 20. I'm in my 20s, yay. And then you hit 26, 28, and you start not feeling like getting older anymore. Then you're in your 30s and you're really not all that excited about getting older anymore. And then you're in your 40s and you're kind of worried about getting older. And then you're in 50s and 60s and you don't feel old, but your body's starting to tell you you're old. And then one day you wake up and you're old. What happened? Solomon says, guess what, young people? You're going to get old. The days of your childhood and youth, they're like vanity. They're emptiness. And he describes getting old in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. See, you can eat right and you can exercise and you can do everything you're supposed to do, but in the words of Solomon, the evil days in which you have no pleasure will come upon you. They're going to come upon you. The next slide here will show a little cartoon. Man's at the doctor. And he says, remember the 20 extra years you added to your life through clean, healthy living? Well, these are them. And the poor guy's all slumped over as he's in his doctor's appointment. That, that, that's his reward for all of his clean, healthy living, right? 
You know, there's coming a day where you won't be able to move as well. You won't be able to remember as well. You won't be able to be as strong as you used to be. You won't be able to do all the things you used to do. And Solomon describes all of the trials of getting older in verses 2 through 7 of Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Notice what he says. He says, While the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain. Verse 2 speaks of the eyes being dimmed of when you when you start to lose your eyesight. Verse 3, In the days when the keepers of the house shall chem- tremble, and the strong men shall bow themselves, and the grinders cease, because they are few, and those that look out of the windows be darkened. Your muscles tremble, your back hunches, your teeth wear down, right? The keepers of the house are trembling. Your, your, your muscles are trembling. Your uh, the strong men bow themselves. Even men that were once strong and they could do a bunch of things, now they're kind of walking like this, right? The strong men are bowing themselves and the grinders are low. The teeth have worn down over all of those years of chewing and eating to where there are very little natural teeth left. And the eyes start to dim. You're constantly having a harder and harder time seeing and a harder time reading and, and looking at small things. This is old age. Verse 4, And the doors shall be shut in the streets when the sound of the grinding is low, and he shall rise up at the voice of the bird, and the daughters of music shall be brought low. Rising up at the voice of the bird. You get older and you have trouble sleeping. Young people don't need a whole lot of sleep, and then they get into their teen years and into their adulthood, and they just want sleep. And then as you get older, you start requiring less sleep again. And you say, ah, oh, that stupid bird tweeting at 3.30 in the morning. It started tweeting and now I can't make it back to sleep. Waking up with the sound of the bird, he says. And all the daughters of the music shall be brought low. In other words, having trouble hearing as well. All of that music that you used to hear, well, now you have to, it, it's kind of low. You, you have trouble hearing it. You need to turn up the volume a little bit louder in your car to hear the music. Verse 5. And when they shall be afraid of that which is high, a fear of heights, a natural fear of falling that comes as you get older, and fear shall be in the way, and the almond tree shall flourish, and the grasshopper shall be a burden, and desire shall fail, because man goeth to his long home, and the mourners go about the streets. The body's weakening, new fears are arising, things that you, you could do, you can't, things that you would do, you can't. I've even found it already. I used to love spinny rides. I used to really just love them. And I was always kind of got a kick out of the fact that my parents were like, yeah, we can't do this anymore. But you know, I'm getting to the age already where I can't handle spinny rides the way I used to be able to handle spinny rides. I don't know what's going to happen when my kids get a little bit older. I guess I'm just going to have to say, I'll do one every once in a while. And then most of them will say, go at it, kids, because I'm not going to be able to handle that. No, no spinny ride for me. Things change as you get older. Solomon is describing that. Young people, you're going to get old. You're going to get old. In verse 8, thus Solomon describes all of the earthly pursuits of this life as vanity. He says, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, all is vanity. What good will all of our knowledge do us when our minds fail? What good will all of the study do us when we when our minds fail? What good will all of our skills do us when we can't use them anymore because our bodies won't work with us? What good will all of our abilities do us when we can't move well anymore? Solomon's words are somewhat depressing, but they're also somewhat true, aren't they? 
Now, that doesn't mean we don't pursue them. He said that in Ecclesiastes 11, 9, and 10. But just know that all that you're going to be gaining materially in this life, you're also going to lose. You're going to get old, and you're going to die, and it's all going to be gone. So if you, all you are living for is that which this life has to offer, you've got nothing. So what did Solomon do? He set out in his final days to do exactly what your pastor is doing today. He set out to teach the next generation, hoping that he could spare the next generation some of the vanity and the sin and the regret that he had in his life. So notice verse 9. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. The words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the master of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. And further, by these, my son, be admonished of making many books there is no end, and much study is the weariness of the flesh. Now, that's not to tell you you shouldn't study. But what Solomon says here is, in, in my final days, he said, as I looked over my life and it was so unfulfilled, he said, I sought to change things. I sought to teach people wisdom. And so I wrote a bunch of Proverbs. We have a lot of those in the book of Proverbs. And then we also have Ecclesiastes, this book of wisdom, of explanation. So he says, I sought to teach people and I sought to write it all down. And he says, in all that I wrote, I could write a bunch more. There's no end to the writing of books. There's no end to the need to disseminate knowledge. But his knowledge is directed in a different purpose this time. His knowledge is not simply knowledge for knowledge's sake, not simply knowledge even for fulfillment's sake. His knowledge is desired to be reflected so that the next generation could learn something. Learn what? Look with me at verse 13 and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. The whole matter is concluded in this. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Solomon's conclusion is that you should spend your time and your efforts and your priorities upon dedicating yourself to the fear of God and to the obedience of God's commands. In fact, Solomon says this is the whole duty of man, that nothing else in life is more important than to fear God and to obey His Word, than to serve, to obey, and to pursue God with every fiber of your being. Let's apply this one. Three applications to you young people. Number one, pursue a full life, but keep it in perspective. Solomon told us in chapter 11, verses 9 and 10, to pursue opportunities that this life had to offer. You know, getting a good job and being successful, that's a good thing. Hiking to the top of mountains, that's a good thing. Dedicating hours to the pursuit of profitable enjoyments, that's a good thing. Spending time learning skills, it's a good thing. Reading books, it's a good thing. Pursuing the knowledge of this world, it's a good thing. All of these things are profitable for you, and don't forsake them, children. But there are two things about the human life that you need to remember. The first is this. All of the material things you pursue in this life will die with you. 
your talents at sports, or your ability with electronics or cars or construction, your good fashion or your ability to play music, your ability to decorate or your green thumb for gardening, your academic knowledge, your ability to reason, all of that will die with you. See, salvation in Christianity is not the Boy Scouts. You're not going to get up to heaven one day and God's going to present you with a bunch of merit badges for everything you did in this life. You're not going to get a basket weaving badge and gun range badge and a rock wall badge. You'll get crowns, but not for the things you did in this life. The only thing that will receive any merit in the life to come are those things which are spiritual and therefore eternal. So children, pursue that which is spiritual because that is what is eternal. Second, if you pursue a hu full human life at the expense of God's righteousness, you will, you will regret it one day. Your pursuit of sinful pleasures will amount to nothing before the throne of God but wood, hay, and stubble. You will look back upon every sin you ever committed as a believer and wonder how it was possible that you saw sin as more worth your time and more worth your effort than pursuing the righteousness of the kingdom of God. If, you can if, if it is possible, young person, and older people as well, if it is at all possible for you to take the words of Solomon today and see them with eyes of faith and be willing to forego the things that this world says it has to offer you in order to pursue that which the Word of God says to pursue, if it is at all possible for you to see with those eyes of faith and to not have to, to, to experience it yourself, you will find nothing but pleasure and enjoyment and rewards for your willingness to trust the Word of God. It will be worth it if you would but be willing to trust the Word of God. You will find not just eternal fulfillment either, young people. I guarantee you, if you are willing to obey the Word of God and avoid that which the Word of God tells you to avoid, you will also find earthly enjoyment and fulfillment that you could never have imagined. You'll never regret the time you give to God. The things you give to God. And this transitions us very naturally into our second point. Number one, pursue a full life, but young people keep it in perspective. Number two, young people, time wasted is time lost. Time wasted is time lost. Solomon told us in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. The days of youth, particularly in the United States, are generally defined as frivolous, at best, empty. Certainly you spend time learning, and that's a profitable thing. You do the math, you do the science, you do the English, and all of those things. But for many, the rest of their time, the rest of a young person's time outside of school, is nothing but frivolity. Video games, movies, toys, they're a lot of fun. But one day you'll look back at all of those years and all of those hours playing video games and watching movies and playing with toys and see that they were really, they did nothing for you. You look at what a person can do. The people who dedicate their time not just to academic study, but that their free time is spent playing musical instruments and their free time is spent um, pursuing um, 
the ability to learn about various aspects, perhaps cars, perhaps um, small engines, all of those sorts of things. And you see some people come out of high school and you say, where did they learn all I know I did that. I spent a lot of my youth playing video games. I got to college and I realized I probably could have actually spent that time doing something profitable. Wow. I could have been learning how to fix cars, learning how to do things. That would have actually helped me in life. I don't get those hours back. Ever. All those hours I lost are lost. They're done. They're gone. Not coming back. Young people, the years of your youth are years where you have the most energy, the most strength, the most zeal, and the greatest ambition. You haven't been poisoned by a world that tells you you can't do. You haven't been poisoned by a world that would seek to draw you into nothing but frivolity. There's still hope for you, in other words. So don't allow these years to be wasted. Don't allow these years to pass by without any profit. Desire that the days of your youth would be days remembered not for their worthless amusements or empty pursuits, but for the undistracted pursuit of spiritual purposes and glory to God. What you do is not simply about right versus wrong people. It's also about empty versus profitable. It's about reward versus rejection. Every day you waste on useless pleasure or sinful pursuit is a day lost to you. And you don't want to get into your 60s or into your 70s and finally realize that what you do matters. Only to lack the ability to do all that you could have done for God. You don't want to get into your elderly years one day and say, if only I knew then what I know now about God, if only I could do the things in my body now that I could do then so that I could go out and do all that God wanted me to do. Third point and final point. First, pursue a, life, a full life, but keep it in perspective. Second, time wasted is time lost. Third and finally this morning, young people, remember, whether you believe it or not, God will judge you for today. The scriptures tell us that you will not be cast into heaven if you are a born-again believer, but the scriptures still tell us that we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of our works, the things that we have done in our body, whether good or bad. Don't think that you're going to get out of judgment just because you're a believer. You will still stand before God, and you will still reckon to Him the things that you have done in your body, and you will still answer for the sins that you have done, though they are under the blood of Jesus Christ, yet you will suffer loss at the judgment seat for your sin. It's a common characteristic of humans that we fail to believe something until we've experienced it. Through humility, this character trait can be worked out of us and possibly even disappear in time, but it's very rare for a young person, for a young adult or a child to learn from others' mistakes rather than having to make the mistakes themselves. I get this all the time with my daughters. They say, don't do that. It's going to hurt you. And then they do it. And then they finally realize daddy was right. And then they finally learned, but they had to learn the hard way. King Solomon was a wealthy and powerful man who got it in his heart to prove or to test wisdom. Wisdom told him that he should obey God, so he disobeyed God to see if wisdom was right. 
wisdom told him that the things done for God are the only things that matter in this earth. So he did everything for himself to see if wisdom was right. And what he found is that indeed wisdom is correct. That disobedience to God is nothing but foolishness. That earthly pursuits at the expense of heavenly fruit is empty and meaningless. And now the decision comes to each person in this room. Not just the young people, everybody. You know what the Bible says about right and wrong. You know what the Bible says about good, better, and best. You know how much time you're wasting and how much time you're using profitably. The question is, are you going to have the wisdom to trust the Word of God and do what is right? Or are you going to foolishly attempt to test God's Word, to prove God's Word from experience? And I guarantee you, if you choose to test God's Word, you know what you're going to find? God's Word was right. That the sin that you pursued has been awful and devastated your life. That it was worthless, that it was empty, that it means nothing, that it will uh, garner nothing before the throne of God, but waste. But you know, young people, you're not robots. You have a free will. God has never forced anything upon you. You choose to follow God or you choose to reject God. Your parents can't make you follow Him. Your church can't make you follow Him. But just know this. Your choices have consequences. You will stand before God one day and you will answer. You'll answer for the sins, for those things that the Bible says not to do, but you decided to do anyway. You will answer for your wasted time, those things that you uh, could have, the things that you could have been doing profitably, but instead you did things that have no profit. But lest that be remiss, unless this sermon is nothing but a downer, do recall that you will also answer for your profit, for your righteousness. The time you spent preparing yourself to be used by God is seen by God and He will reward you for it. The time you spend telling others about Christ is seen by God and He will reward you for it. The time spent studying God's Word is seen by God and He will reward you for it. The time spent glorifying God by observing uh, what the Word of God has to say, by obeying your parents, by honoring your spouse one day, by providing for your family one day, all of this is seen by God, folks, and He will reward you for it. Young people, don't feel like you have to wait until you're a grown-up to make a difference. Don't feel like you have to wait until college to make choices for God, to set a direction or a course in your life. Don't feel like it's too early. Don't feel like these are free years for you. Don't feel like this is just the time for you to enjoy things before, it's, before you have to get serious about life. Don't do that. Fear God. Keep His commandments. This is what God expects for your life. You say, well, Pastor, I want to use my time better. I want to obey God better, but I don't know how. May I encourage you? Ask your parents. Or, after talking to your parents, come see me or my wife. Let them know what you're doing. We'd love to help you out. We'd love to give you some directions that you can go in. We'd love to divert your path towards some ministry opportunities, uh, towards some, some biblical disciplines. See, this isn't about listening to grown-ups children. I'm not asking you to take my word for anything. I'm not asking you to take your parents' word for anything. You need to obey them. But we're not asking you to adopt our standards or practices or habits. This is about taking the word of God and obeying it. This is about the timeless 
inerrant, infallible word of God telling you what you ought to do and what you ought to avoid. This is doing those things that the Bible tells us to do and determining not to waste our time on things that don't profit for eternity. And so as we close, young people, may I encourage you to take the words of Solomon at heart. To fear God and to keep His commandments is the whole duty of man. Don't spend your time wondering what you're missing in this world. You're not missing anything. You're not. The pleasures of the flesh and of self and of sin, you're not missing a thing. Fear God. Keep His commandments. You know what this church really needs? What this church really needs is some zealous youth. Some young people who will dedicate their time to serving Christ, to telling others, to getting out and doing the work. I think if we found that, we'd find some pretty dramatic changes in our church. But you know, society is trying to tell you don't be that way. Coast through these years of youth. May I encourage you to trust the Word of God above your perception or even above the Word of God. Let's pray together.